The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 18 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC18. This is Secret Church 18, Episode 3. We've looked at the real $20 bill, uh, the real deal. Now let's look at some counterfeits. So identifying cults and counterfeit gospel. And uh, this is where, just before we dive into some of the specifics we're going to look at tonight, I want us to say this is not something new. Like ever since the first century, there's been a need for this in the church. Jesus warned the first disciples, beware of false prophets. Come to you in sheep's clothing, inwardly or ravenous wolves. Paul encouraged the earliest Christians not to be tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. John said many deceivers have gone out in the world, those who don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, 2 John 7. Should we, so we shouldn't be surprised by cults and counterfeit gospels. Like wherever the true gospel is proclaimed in the world, counterfeits inevitably arise. So just take a broad historical look at heresies for a minute. And when I use that term heresy, here's what I mean. A heresy is a deviation from the church's historical teaching on foundational biblical doctrines. So deviation from the church's historical teaching on foundational biblical doctrines. So think biblically and historically, much like we see in Acts 24, end of that verse, everything laid down by the law, written in the prophets, 2 Peter 2, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And at its core, heretical teaching presents another God or another gospel. That's why we spent the first part of our time tonight looking at the one true gospel, the one true God, because a heresy is going to deviate in some way from one or more of the truths that we've already covered. So everything we look at the rest of the night will deviate from the real deal that we just saw in one or more ways. And this is nothing new. First century, Paul writes to the Corinthians, first Corinthians, second Corinthians 11. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with, put up with it readily enough. So there were other gospels, other Christs that were spreading in the first century. Those who taught those heresies, Paul later labels in that chapter false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And this is really important to realize. So I I see heresies threatening the church all around me. And then I I think about many years ago, first time I ever spent with young persecuted churches in Asia, those new Christians were immediately being bombarded by heretical teachings. Those underground House churches, I just felt like Paul here, like saying, watch out for this. No, 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 don't believe that. Don't believe that. Satan is crafty. And he is battling to keep people from believing the gospel. And once somebody believes the gospel, the battle doesn't stop. Because he will fight to distort that gospel and deceive that believer. So don't be deceived. Every single one of you, wherever you are in the world, however long you've been a Christian, whether a night or a week or 50 years. In the words of 2 Corinthians 11, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light and he wants to distort your understanding of God and the gospel. So you must always be on guard. That's part of why this topic tonight is so critical. We all need this. I need this. So think with me about Trinitarian heresies in Christian history. And we're going to use that 
use terms here that were used in the early centuries of the church. But the reason is we, we can't forget history. What you're going to see in just a minute is that cults and counterfeit gospels today are really nothing new. We'll look at Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, for example, who weren't around 1,800 years ago, but the heresies at the core of their beliefs were absolutely around. They're, in a sense, nothing new. So we need to learn from history, these Trinitarian heresies. One is modalism, which denies the first foundational truth of the Trinity. I mean, the first truth was that God is three person, persons. And instead of three persons, modalism says that God has three distinct modes, almost like God wears different masks. Basically, sometimes puts on the father mask, goes into father mode. Other times he's got the son mask on, he's in son mode. Other times he puts on the spirit mask, he works in the spirit mode. But the problems here are, are many, and I want to be fair, I trust many people who've come to this or other conclusions, they're trying to grapple with what the Bible teaches about the Trinity, but to say that God is not three distinct persons, that he only has three distinct modes, denies the relationships between, within the Trinity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit ignores the separation of persons in Scripture. So these distinctions between the persons that we saw are totally ignored in modalism. And ultimately, this is huge, modalism undercuts the doctrine of the atonement, the core of the gospel, which teaches that God the Father poured out the judgment due our sin upon God the Son in our place. Distinct persons in the Trinity is what makes our salvation possible. This is big as is Arianism, which denies the second foundational truth of the Trinity, that each person of the Trinity is fully God. So Arianism denies the full deity of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Basically teaches Jesus is not fully God and the Holy Spirit is not fully God. Arianism claims that the Son is inferior in essence to the Father. Inferior, not equal. And Arianism is taught in different ways. Some would hold to subordinationism, which teaches that the Son is eternal. It's not created and just not created and divine, but still not equal to the Father in being or attributes. Or adoptionism teaches that Jesus lived as an ordinary man until his baptism, but then God adopted Jesus as his son and conferred on him supernatural powers. The point is both of these deny the full deity and equality of the Son. And then just think contemporary Arianism. This is actually a core distinction between Christianity and Islam. Arianism is much closer to Muslim teaching about Jesus as a prophet but not God. And this is a core distinction between Christianity and cults, as we're about to see. And the third major historical heresy is polytheism, which denies the third foundational truth of the Trinity, that there's only one God. So polytheism is the worship of more than one God, which, so I mentioned Islam. This is what many Muslims will say they react against in Christianity. Many Muslims believe that Christians believe there are multiple gods. You have the Father, you have Jesus, etc., which is not at all what the Bible teaches, different gods. The Bible clearly teaches there's only one God. We saw that, Isaiah 45. The Bible teaches that any worship of more than one God is idolatry, Isaiah 44, Habakkuk 2. So we see Trinitarian heresies that deny one or more of those foundational truths we saw in Scripture about the Trinity. And then closely related to that, overlapping even with it some, are Christological heresies. So 1 John 2, you look at the end of that passage, it warns about... He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So see this. I, I, hope, I hope we get this. Like, this is not just ivory tower talk for theologians. This is a conversation for all of us to have. First, first John 2, if you want to know the Father truly, you have to know the Son truly. 
And we all need to see what Scripture teaches about the Father and the Son, particularly in light of historical heresies that take contemporary forms. Heresies like Arianism and Ebionitism, which in some teach that Jesus is not fully God, or Apollinarianism and Docetism, which teach that Jesus is not fully man, or Nestorianism, which teaches that Jesus' humanity and deity are two distinct persons, his humanity and his deity. So when you look in church history and you see like creeds, you're seeing statements of biblical belief embraced by the church many times to counter heretical teachings that were starting to spread. Listen to this Chalcedonian creed from 451 AD. And as you do, just listen to it and thank God in your hearts for men and women of faith who went before us and fought some of the costs of their lives to articulate and defend what the Bible teaches about Jesus and about God. Listen to this. In light of the heresies we've just mentioned, therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time of one substance with us regarding his manhood, like us in all respects, apart from sin, as regard his Godhood, begotten of the Father before the ages, but as yet regard his as regard but yet as regards his manhood, begotten for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and subsistence, not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, even as the prophets from earliest times spoke of Him and our Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught us and the creed of the fathers is handed down to us. Now, if we're not careful, those words can seem like, ah, what's the big deal? But I hope we're seeing that's a huge deal. And we're talking about how we understand who Jesus is, how Jesus is uniquely able to save us. And you veer from the truths about who Jesus is, you suddenly come to a Muslim or a cultic, ultimately a heretical view of Jesus. Listen to the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. In one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. And that that paragraph right there about Jesus is going to be huge when we start diving into these next couple of cults. So these statements of faith from our history based on the Bible are huge. They lay a foundation for us as we take a contemporary look at cults and counterfeit gospels. So we've defined heresy. Let's cover, cover a couple more definitions. So we're all on the page, same page with the terms we're using tonight. So first, and pretty important, what is a cult? So what's a cult? So cults are groups which claim to be in harmony with Christianity, but deny foundational Christian doctrines. Now keep going here. Claims to be The groups that claim to be in harmony with Christianity while denying foundational Christian doctrines and they generally follow the instruction of one individual who dictates false teachings. Just like we see in the New Testament, false teachings usually follow false teachers, false prophets in uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. So as we'll see, the cults we're talking about tonight have this kind of false teacher in common. Now, for clarification, cults are not to be confused with the occult, which is a word commonly used to describe attempts to gain supernatural knowledge or power apart from the God of the Bible. So think 
Leviticus chapter 20, mediums and necromancers. Deuteronomy 18, those who practice divination or tell fortunes or interpret omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. The Bible says whoever does those things is an abomination to the Lord. So the occult would include fortune telling, witchcraft, tarot cards, crystal balls, horoscopes, Ouija boards. That's not what we're talking about when we refer to a cult. Not that a cult is good, but it's not what we're talking about here. A cult claims to be Christian while denying foundational Christian doctrines and generally follows an individual who promotes false teachings. One reason that definition is important because is because I'm defining a counterfeit gospel as, so follow this, a counterfeit gospel is a fraudulent imitation of the gospel that deceives. Much like we saw in Galatians chapter 1, another gospel. And the reason that distinction is important is because you could call any of the cults we're talking about tonight counterfeit gospels. But you wouldn't necessarily call every counterfeit gospel we're talking about tonight a cult. Mainly because of that more specific reference to one individual who dictates false teaching. So that's why a couple of the belief systems we'll look at tonight, I would call a counterfeit gospel, but not necessarily a cult. But I would call everything we're talking about a counterfeit gospel. So that counterfeit gospel def- definition is more general, a fraudulent imitation of the gospel that deceives people about who God is and how God saves us. Now, those definitions lead us to a few questions that I'm guessing might be in your mind. One question is, should we just focus on the one true gospel and ignore false teaching? Like, why talk about cults and counterfeit gospels? Just focus on the real thing, the gospel. That's all that matters. Why take the time to call out people who believe differently from you? Isn't it unloving to name false teachers? Is it unloving to name false teachers? And maybe to talk about false teachings, but isn't it inappropriate to call out specific people? And for that matter, is it uncaring to criticize other beliefs? Particularly in a politically correct day, shouldn't we just say what we believe, leave others to believe whatever they want to believe? And most of us don't love conflict or criticism, either giving it or receiving it. So most of us cringe at the thought of calling out teachers, teachings, criticizing others' beliefs. And I, I get this. I've already mentioned a couple times, I have many friends who believe many of the things we're going to talk about tonight. And there is a hesitation in me to call these things out. But here's why I'm compelled to do so. And why I believe every one of us, as a follower of Christ, must be compelled to do so. Pastors in our churches, leaders in our churches, members in Church, in our lives, in our friendships, look at the scriptures I've listed in this section. Just hear the word of God to you and me, to our churches, to our families. Acts 20, 28. Pay pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, Paul says, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Oh, God, here in his word, is telling us, pay careful attention. Like wolves are coming in among the sheep. Think about that imagery. You think about this, if you were a pastor, if you saw wolves coming in among the sheep, you pastor, would it be loving to sit back and say nothing? That would be completely unloving. 
The most loving thing you can do at that point is to warn those sheep and call out those wolves and do everything you can to keep those wolves from those sheep. That is love. Paul says this is a non-negotiable qualification of a pastor. In Titus 1, he must hold the firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Do you hear that? A pastor must be able to rebuke false teachers and what they're teaching. This is what's required of a pastor. I received in my inbox the last couple of weeks questions from a few different pastor search teams. And I would just ask every single pastor search team not to prioritize an innovative, creative, impressive resume, but to prioritize a brother who is able to give instruction in sound doctrine and will not be afraid to rebuke anyone who contradicts it. Paul shows us an example of the second Timothy two. He calls out false teachers specifically. He says, avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth saying the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. How would you like to be Hymenaeus and Philetus? Like your name is written down in the Bible for thousands of years, all of eternity, really as a warning of the kind of people you must avoid. And as an example to pastors, call these guys out. Paul says in Titus 1, keep in mind, this is right after he lays out the qualifications for a pastor, and including those qualifications to rebuke false teachers and teachings. He says there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not to teach. Paul Paul often talks about those in the church as his children who he wants to protect. I think about my kids, 11, 10, 7, and 5 years old, how much I love them, how often I pray for their protection, how I plead with God for their protection in every way, how I'll do anything I can to protect them. I'm coaching my 5-year-old in t-ball right now. I feel like my main job on that field is protecting those 5-year-olds from hurting each other. Like, I see... (laughs) Teaching baseball is way down the list in priorities, way down the list. Like I see a five-year-old with a bat ready to swing right away as his teammate with a smile is running up behind him. And I, I go running to that kid. I don't stand back and say, oh, that's so cute. Like I don't want to offend the little guy. Like let him swing away. I see a bat headed toward a kid. I do something about it. How much more so when it comes to people's eternal destinies? I see a false teacher spreading deception that damns. I'm going to do something about it. This is serious. Jesus said so. Look at Revelation 2. What did Jesus say to the church at Pergamum? Verse 14. I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some of all the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Did you hear that? Jesus holds the church responsible for not addressing false teaching. He says, I'm about to come to you with the sword of my mouth for war. Then Jesus says, verse 20, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed. Those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. I don't think it's possible to imagine much stronger language. 
And don't miss it. The problem, did you see this? It's not just with Jezebel. The problem is with a church that tolerates her teaching. Pastors can't tolerate that kind of teaching affecting the church. Small group Bible study leaders can't tolerate that kind of teaching. Husbands, wives, moms, dads, parents can't tolerate that kind of teaching in their homes. All this to say, followers of Christ must, absolutely must pay attention to false teachings. Call out false teachers and offer clear biblical criticism of unbiblical teaching. Otherwise, we will prove ourselves unloving toward the people around us and ultimately unfaithful to God above us. That's why this topic is so important. So there are There are many examples of cults and counterfeit gospels in the world. They're everywhere. And I just listed some of the, some of the ones that maybe are a little bit bigger that we're not going to cover directly tonight, in addition to thousands and thousands of others. So cults and counterfeit gospels we will not cover directly include Oneness Pentecostalism, the United Pentecostal Church, the New Age Movement, and Christian version of that, the International Church of Christ, Unitarian Universalist Association, Christian Science, the Unity School of Christianity, the Way International, the Church of Scientology International, which is no church at all. I could go on and on and on. And uh, part of me wishes I could, because I'm guessing some of you have or will encounter some of these, wonder what to do. My hope is that in covering the ones we are covering and strengthening, I hope, our foundation in the one true gospel of the one true God, we will have a keener eye toward cults and counterfeits. They'll be able to see, smell, sense them all the more quickly, maybe take the first section from the night on the, from, on the one true gospel of the one true God and have a filter through which you can ask, okay, is there any belief here veering off from any of these truths? And through that filter, that lens, that's what I want us to do as we look at five cults and counterfeit gospels tonight. Here they are. Cults and counterfeit gospels we will cover directly tonight are Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholicism, Prosperity Gospel, and Theological Liberalism. Now, again, just to be clear, I'm not saying all of the above are cults, as I've defined cult above. I would definitely say the first two are, because as we'll see, they're clearly attached to the teaching of one particular false teacher and the way in a way that the others are not in the same way. So they're not all necessarily cults, but my aim is to show that they are all counterfeit gospels that we need to pay attention to and watch out for and warn against. And just so you know how this is going to work, we're going to approach this similar to how we did World Religions, uh, if you were part of that secret church a couple years ago. So for each of these, we're going to look at what these cults and counterfeit gospels teach give an admittedly broad picture of those who believe those teachings, and then talk about how to share the one true gospel of the one true God with those people. That's the point. Again, I think about my friends. The last thing I want to do is just criticize these beliefs for the sake of criticism. That's, I'm not interested in that. That's not what Paul or Jesus were doing in the New Testament. The Bible doesn't call out false teachings or false teachers just for the fun of it, but so that these false teachings would be silenced by the truth of the gospel. These false teachers would know the truth, the truth of God's love and grace and mercy in the gospel. So we want people to know. I want people to know the depth of God's love and not just to know him, but to enjoy him, not just now for all of eternity. So I hope in the process, then you'll be compelled to, to with friends, people around you who may believe these things, that you will love them enough to want to share the one true gospel of the one true God with them. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.